Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. Great. Today, welcome to the show. We're going to talk about incident reviews and psychological safety. I'm joined today by Tom Garrity from Red Hat. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Excellent. Tell the people about yourself. What do you do? Why are you interested in psychological safety? Oh, that's yeah. Yeah. So I. Uh, so yeah. My name's Tom. I'm uh, transformation lead at Red Hat Open Innovation Labs uh, here in the UK. Uh, we work all over EMEA and, in fact, all over the world. But so I got into psychological safety before I knew what it was. Before I knew it as a word. About maybe 10, 12-ish years ago, I had a terrible, terrible boss. Stereotypical boss who would come in, storm into the office, open plan office, storm in and rip someone to pieces for some minor mistake or infraction. And that culture uh, resulted in, well, I mean, it resulted in just a terrible place to be, but it also resulted in a real uh, slow innovation, well, no innovation, really slow old tech. No one wanted to make any changes and it was all like... The performance of the team was really poor. The performance of the technology was really poor. NFS was unreliable and awful. I knew at that point that that was the bad end, the bad side of leadership. I didn't know what the good end was. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't. I couldn't give it a word. But I. But from that point on, I vowed like I would be the opposite of that. Yeah. And then uh, just a few years ago, I discovered some work by Amy Edmondson and managed to, and and like. Oh my God, this is the word. This is the thing that I've been doing and hunting for. So that's sort of how I discovered it and uh, became so passionate about it. Excellent. So why don't we, uh, we'll dip into some things here. Uh, if we talk about, say, you know, you mentioned that, that sort of culture where innovation stops, people are very fearful. And, you know, we, we try to um, encourage learning experiences and growth and, you know, that all fosters innovation and all that sort of thing. So like, how does that play into, you know, psychological safety? So when we talk about it, we sort of cite like a Google paper and some research there. How do you approach it? How do you how do you explain to people what all this stuff is? Well, I think so. So, yeah, it's interesting you you mentioned the Google paper and stuff, because I think that's one of the easiest ways for me to describe it, I think, is to talk about some of the original research, which is what Amy Edmondson did in 99. She was studying clinical teams, high performing and low performing clinical teams. And what she found was that the high-performing teams, where more people survived, made more mistakes than the low-performing teams, where more people died, right? So that doesn't make sense. Like, why why would a high-performing team make more mistakes than a low-performing team? And and she, she initially thought that she'd had the, she got the data the wrong way around. She thought there was a, like, transposing error or something. So she dived into it a bit more, and what she found was that the high-performing teams were admitting more mistakes, admitting their mistakes, and the low-performing teams were hiding theirs, which, of course, like you follow that through, it, of course, meant that mistakes and errors perpetuated themselves. They never got fixed, you know, and no one, nothing ever got better. So, But the high-performing team, they raised a, an issue. They were allowed to hold up their hand and say, I made a mistake, and do something about it and make processes better and bring in checklists or whatever it was. So fundamentally, this uh, psychological safety, like at a basic level, is just that ability to put your hand up and say, I've made a mistake, or I've got an idea, or I don't think that's right. And that's that's the power of it. So the medical clinical association with some of this stuff is, it's pretty clear, like there's a lot of 
<clears throat> research that sort of brings that in. It's kind of interesting that things are related, that we're kind of picking up in IT that way. It's super interesting that way. And then all of that, that stuff leads into like good practice for incident reviews and like how you handle when things do go poorly and all that stuff that becomes so, so important in this same kind of high pressure real time environments that our, our T teams are, are running. Like, there's nobody open on the table or whatever, but you know, there's, there's a lot of stress going on. So when we're talking about say incident reviews and how it relates to all of that kind of stuff, like how does it play into that part of it? If something's happened already and then we're going to talk about it and hopefully learn from it, what kind of culture do we want to foster at that end of the, of the path? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question. Cause I think there's, there's a few things to unpick there. I mean, fundamentally people need to feel safe to be present. They need to feel safe that being present and offering their ideas or, or, or contributing their, you know, their mistakes or or their perceptions of what happened or whatever, you know, if, if this is an incident review, that that's not going to backfire. There's not going to be some negative impact upon them for contributing or sharing what they feel they need to share or what would be good to share. That's a fundamental aspect of psychological safety, that people are able to put their hand up, admit mistakes, offer their ideas because when you're offering your idea you're, you're you know you're making yourself vulnerable because you're offering part of yourself you know this is part of me this is my idea and so that that takes quite a lot of psychological safety well, an even higher level of psycho of psychological safety is required if you're going to challenge the ideas of other people on the team or challenge the beliefs or perceptions of someone else on the team especially if there's someone senior on the team and so you know you might have a, a senior engineer or, or your manager or someone in that incident review, even with a flat team, there's hierarchies and dynamics, right? Of course there are. So so to challenge the idea of someone else, if someone else says, well, I think this happened, I think this caused this, caused this, for you, maybe you, you know, in order for you to feel safe to say, actually, I don't think that's the case, I think it might be X, takes a higher degree of psychological safety. And the building of that psychological safety is something is it takes a lot of work and it's it's the job primarily of leadership because it's leadership ultimately that can damage psychological safety most of all by making actions and and doing things that that damage it so a lot of this relies on leaders to to carry out good progressive leadership behaviors and, and and values and techniques to facilitate that psychological safety in the team yeah what does that look like so like as we go back through sort of historical incidents, historical disasters. I think like the, for those of us of a certain age in the United States, like the Challenger accident in 83 is a big one where as that investigation came out, like that really shined a light on a lot of really toxic cultural practices and really brought a lot of that stuff to the forefront. And we're almost what 30 years from that, but still struggling with these concepts. So like what kinds of things can people do? What do you see? that works like leadership modeling certain behaviors what kind of behaviors does that look like yeah great so uh, one of the phrases i really like is and this doesn't apply all the time but it, I, I think it's really useful to think about is that one of the best ways to build psychological safety is to pretend it already exists and as a leader because naturally you're you you are safer as a leader um as a leader this is on you to start pretending it already exists and start modeling those behaviors so some of those things might be being the first to admit a mistake. And this is something that I was speaking to a Red Arrows commander about. Uh, Red Arrows are the UK um, acrobatic. Blue Angels, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and I was talking to him, so he was telling me about when he when his squadron um, land from I'm, I'm using all these words that I don't know like squadron sortie so they land from a mission or a sortie or whatever it is and they walk into the hangar uh, and they and they do it like a debrief and the first thing he does is admit at least one mistake that he made now what that does is that that creates a safe space for the for everyone else to admit a mistake but it also models that behavior so they actually want to it's it's expected for them to admit mistakes and then it's a, it's through admitting those mistakes that improvements can be made. Um, so, so yeah, admitting mistakes is a really powerful way of building psychological safety and creating that culture and that environment. Another thing to do is to make sure that when someone else on the team does, say, admit a mistake or contribute an idea or offer their perspective, that it's received well. It's received with thanks and openness, even if you disagree or even if they're patently wrong. Receive it well, take it on thank people for their contribution because because the worst thing you can do, one of the worst things you can do is shut down that future contribution and admission through through some sort of negative you know response to, to that behavior. Yeah, definitely. It definitely feels like more of a challenge in certain cultures than others or, or in, in certain organizations than others, depending on, you know, baseline assumptions and, and things like that. So, like, are there stages of psychological safety? Are there, like, phases that organizations might go through in this sort of, like, process or learning experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are. I mean, it's interesting because all, you know, all. so there are, lot, there are lots of models of psychological safety. And as we know, you know all models are wrong, but some are useful. And there is a model called Four Stages of Psychological Safety. And it's really interesting to play with and useful to know because it allows you to think about the different ways, the different places and where where someone might be on a team. And we all move through these different stages through on different teams with different people in the room, in different contexts, in different situations, and at different times of the day. And, you know, and stuff might be going on at home or whatever outside of work that, that affects these you know, where you are. These four stages, uh, this is from a book called Four Stages of Psychological Safety by Timothy Clark. And the first stage is inclusion. This is actually, it's probably the most important one to remember because fundamentally inclusion is absolutely necessary to teaming, to simply being in a team. You know, people need to be comfortable being present on the team. This, this is just the fundamental, everyone needs to be there. And this is, this kind of speaks to the diversity and equity and inclusion aspect of it all because no one must feel part of the out group so that's your basic that's your base layer that's your foundation and then you've got a learner stage of, of psychological safety which means people are then a bit more confident a bit feel a bit safer they can ask questions um, they can make experiments they can try things without fear of failure and they can admit mistakes and ask for help that's super powerful, and I and I and I love this point where experiments come in because everything is, is an experiment, and if everything is an experiment, you can't fail because you've done the experiment. Yeah, you don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then then we move into contributor safety, and this requires a, a another greater degree of psychological safety where people can, can can offer their ideas and perspectives without fear of embarrassment uh, or ridicule. This is where innovation starts to happen because you get these different ideas from different perspectives on the team. The collection of ideas and this sort of distilling of different ideas means that not just the best ideas win, but the, the combinatorial power of lots of different ideas coming together means that the, ultimately the best idea was probably wasn't one of the ideas that was originally suggested. Really powerful stage. The final stage, I think we alluded to this earlier, is challenger safety. And, this, and that's where 
people can challenge the ideas of other people on the team, challenge the perspectives, challenge the way the team does things, the way the organization does things, challenge the ideas or beliefs of the people in seniority or, you know, the leaders on the team. Like that takes a great deal of effort to get there and a great deal of effort to stay there as well. Yeah, it, all of those definitely make sense. And I, I'm, I'm like, my mind is working. I'm like, okay, yeah, I feel like I've, I've experienced sort of all of those in different places. And like you said, with like different teams, even in the same organization, because like smaller pods of people might have their own sort of team culture and team norms that contribute to those things in positive and potentially negative ways, just as people are doing people things. And so I was going to ask you another question about that. And now I've, I've lost it as my brain was like adjusting all of this stuff and going a million miles an hour. So it's super interesting. I think, I think I can see where you were going with that though. And this is, this is something that comes up quite a lot. This might not be where you're going, but this is a question that I, I get asked quite a lot. And it's something that comes up quite often, which is, which is how do you deal with these, like I say, pockets uh, yes, there you go. in organizations so you may well be familiar and a lot of the listeners will be familiar with westrom's cultural typologies that i think were yes. originally referred to in possibly the phoenix project definitely referred to in accelerate so you've got uh, uh generative bureaucratic and uh, pathological cultures right and these exist in different degrees in different parts of the organization so i'm sure we've all seen and we can all empathize with how some teams and organizations are sort of really high performing bubbles and the teams within that feel psychologically safe inside the team to be part of that team. But the wider organization is not psychologically safe. So what you end up with is, is, a, is what I call a, a psychological safety gradient, a steep gradient. And just with um, like a semi-permeable membrane and a, and, a, and a diffusion gradient, it's harder to maintain. It's harder to maintain a steeper gradient. And that stress is on the leader of that team invariably. You know, and this is the old uh, sort of uh, metaphor of the of the manager holding up the umbrella to shield the team from the rest yes. of the organization. That becomes a really stressful place to be. So you can do that as a leader of your team, and you can build a great high performing team. And what, but whilst you're doing that, the emphasis should be to try and widen that psychological safety, spread it throughout the organization, because it's only going to get harder and harder as you as the, as the gradient gets deeper. Absolutely, and like. We think of teams as like a, a discrete item, but teams are really flowing, living, amorphous things. They change over time. People join, people leave. They take on different projects. They get reorged because why not? And the concept of a team having its own sort of identity is very easily crumbled in, in a lot of organizations. So yeah, as you strive to spread that that nice new dawn across the rest of the organization you help everybody as well as yourself with that stuff absolutely so let's talk a little bit about i think a lot of people who have been following maybe the devops movement and some of these other sort of modernization things probably have like a some, at least some concept of, of psychological safety and you know what kind of know what it feels like in different places but like there's a bunch of myths around it too. So do you have like a, a, a myth that you'd like to debunk with our listeners today or that, that you find uh, around psychological safety? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think, and yes, there are, there are definitely some misconceptions about psychological safety that I've come across a lot. I've come across with particularly for people in, in fairly senior roles or fairly traditional roles or, or, or in traditional organizations and particularly for people who have 
obtained power in those organizations through through traditional power structures. The concept of psychological safety is often kind of framed as a bit of a soft um, mental health uh, wellness kind of initiative. And, and it's often, for some reason, parked alongside diversity and inclusion sort of programs. They honestly don't make much sense to me why that's... Like, psychological safety is such a fundamental part of human being and such an essential part of team performance and organisational performance and the ability to learn and execute and deliver and be happy that I don't really understand why it's often framed just as a wellness thing. The danger with that and, and what I do see happening is that because it's, it's dismissed as sort of nice to have or something for HR to do or, you know, as this wellness thing, it's that um, there's a temptation to run a workshop or a few sessions, do a few seminars, create a guide or something, you know, do this, do that, do this other thing, and then you've got it and your job is done. And you can go back to the old ways. You can start telling people what to do again. You can get back to the, you know, the Gantt charts and command control processes that you used to have before and everything's all good. But that's not the case. Psychological safety is a genuine phase change for an organization. It's a genuine uh, leap into a completely different way of working, power structures, and progressive next-gen organizational thinking. It's a completely different way of doing it. And I really like, I, I like the phrase that the soft stuff is the hard stuff yes. because we, we, we work in technology. Ultimately, you know, technology is technology. It, it, it works. It might be hard in the sense that you have, to, you have to work stuff out, but people are much harder. People and organizations and, and cultures are much, much harder. And so there's a temptation to kind of steer away, pull away from it because it's too difficult. Yeah. Oh, people are messy. Like they, they, they do people things and, and what are you doing, man? <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, definitely see that at different places. And with that, like as we're moving towards, you know, sort of, especially in, in IT. So like in, in our parts of the industry, like we're moving towards teams want to move faster. They want to do more stuff. They want to put more features in front of their customers. And it feels like that kind of acceleration of innovation and those kinds of goals sort of require this as a prerequisite before you can get to all the good stuff that falls in later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think fundamentally is because that, like, there's only so much we can achieve without psychological safety. Sure, a team can be high performing or, you know, deliver stuff well to high quality and do it quickly without psychological safety. As much as I hate to say it, you know, it is possible to manage through fear. It is possible to get people to do stuff by making them scared of the of the consequences if they don't. But that's not a long term. That's not sustainable. And it also doesn't take it doesn't take teams to the next performance level. What we're asking teams, particularly technology teams, to do right now in this age is perform at a level that we've never seen performance before, or we see, we've only seen it in little pockets. And that level of performance only comes through an ownership and a true engagement with that desire to perform fast and quickly and to high quality. What that requires is a psychological safety within that team to enable everyone in the team to constantly say, what's that next idea? How can we do this better? What did we do wrong that time? Why did that success happen? Let's do more of that. And that psychological safety to, to engage with it at a really meaningful level and keep pushing it forward. And that's why it's so important right now, because we're asking so much more of people. 
but also where you know it's the right thing to do right now because fundamentally people should be happy in work yeah and, and you touched on something else there too like it's not just for when things go wrong like just the ability of of your junior people to ask questions or, you know, to, to learn from the senior folks on your team, like even something that feels like it should be simple. I think we probably all worked somewhere where that it wasn't even the case. And like just setting those baselines for people to be safe, to ask questions and to even just to show up to work as themselves and, and all of those sort of baseline assumptions all becomes part of this as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like all of that stuff, all of that stuff that we often take for granted, like being able to ask someone where to find that documentation, or oh, I can't remember how to use this tool, or or what, what does that word mean? You know, all of that stuff does require psychological safety, and if there's not much psychological safety, all that stuff, all those little things start to slow everyone down. Yeah, and and so yeah, to 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 really enable everyone to push forward and enable other people to pull people forward uh, uh, b- uh, behind them then then yeah it requires that psychological safety and like you say for successes not not just not just failures you know examining yeah. success absolutely as we look at uh, out across the industry like there's been I, I we were talking about this before we started recording like I feel like psychological safety is kind of having a moment right like we've seen a couple of newer uh, events put together that sort of focus on it and even seeing it as like a suggested topic on calls for papers and those kinds of things in sort of mainstream events it feels a little novel like it feels like a, a new newer thing we've been talking about it for a long time yeah, but yeah. It, it feels like it's just now sort of bubbling back up do you feel that way too is that what you're kind of what you're seeing as well yeah 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 i'm definitely seeing it like i i i first sort of came across the term maybe yeah, three years ago when I came across one of Amy, Amy Edmondson's videos. But at the time, it was a bit niche. It was a bit mm-hmm. weird. It was, um, you know, people were surprised when I was talking about it. But yeah, now, you know, most people know what it is. They get it. And like you say, there's almost no conf- conference or, or event that goes goes by without, without at least one person talking about it. And it's often a thread that's brought into uh talks and presentations and and, and articles mm-hmm. and stuff all the time in fact so up until about two years ago there was basically one book on psychological safety yeah amy edmondson's fearless organization mm-hmm. and now th- th- there's more coming out all the time they're, they're all over the place as soon as safer happier book and agile conversations oh, yeah. and the unicorn project you know they're all talking about psychological safety as a fundamental factor and yeah like you say it's really having a moment and i think Partly that's due to 2020 and, and the chaos that ensued from that. And most of us, if maybe all of us, actually felt a lot less psychologically safe as a result. And so we've all kind of felt this need. Okay, how do we bring that back? How do we, how do we make ourselves more psychologically safe in our teams and organizations and at work? Yeah, that, that brings me to my next question. We don't, we don't always get too super spicy or, or into the you know, uh, news of the day on this show. But like, it feels like there's been maybe uh, some pushback in, in some certain sectors about you know, the idea that, that people should bring them ho- their whole selves to work. And you know, thinking about some of the dramatic uh, explosions or implosions of organizations recently that have sort of challenged this. Like the, the research is there. Like you said, there's papers, there's, there's tons of research. Like it's, it's, it's there as sort of an, an, an established 
theory, but then there's also this pushback. What do you, what do you see there? Like, what does that, it, it, to me, it feels really kind of gross, but it, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I've, I, I, I've seen that pushback and I've seen it. Uh, I mean, I've seen it before now. I've seen, you know, we're, there are organizations that are almost uh, reacting and reverting, reverting to type, you know, uh, and when I say organizations, I mean the leaders of these organizations. Yeah. And I think what a lot of this comes back to, ironically enough, it comes back to fear and it comes to, uh, it speaks to a fear of uh, losing control and a fear of losing control of the power structures that got them there in the first place. The leaders of these organizations got to where they are via power structures that via psychological safety and, and other progressive movements, they're being asked to break down. You know, we're, they're, they're being asked and told to flatten organizations, mm-hmm. evolve power, distribute power, distribute decision-making, include everyone, include everyone's perspectives. And all of this is, you know, this, this is fundamentally psychological safety stuff, but it also makes them as leaders much more vulnerable because what we're asking them to do, you know, stage four of psychological safety is challenge authority. Yeah. So we're asking leaders to put themselves in very vulnerable positions where up until now their their decisions weren't weren't uh, weren't challenged. Yeah. And there are people who are not very comfortable with that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like it definitely, yeah, the reaction definitely feels like a step back in a lot of ways. Like if you feel like as a as an underrepresented person in your organization that you know, there's someone in, in leadership roles or, or even, you know, have soft power roles that make comments about whether you deserve to be there or, you know, any of these other things that it's, it's pride month when we're recording this. Like there's, there's lots of drama around, you know, so many things and seeing some of these leaders, I, I, I ha- are they leaders, right? Like mm-hmm. even to that point, yeah. but like some of these, you know, higher, higher up folks say, you know, like that's not important. And, yeah, it definitely yeah. feels. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and you've kind of hit on it there because how many of these leaders? I mean, I, I mean, the, the leaders that we're talking about are privileged white yes. men, aren't they? So yeah. of course they they see this stuff as well. It doesn't matter because yeah. it affect them. They're always safe. They, yeah. they're, there's probably never a time where they don't feel empowered to speak their mind or ask questions. Exactly, exactly, and and so because they don't feel that that fear. Or and they don't feel that fear of being excluded. They they don't feel the need for inclusion because they're they're included by default. They are the organization by default. There's not that energy behind the inclusion, and there's, there's often not even a recognition of the sort of concepts of privilege, yeah, and sectionality, and and those sorts of deals because they don't see them. Yeah, absolutely. For folks in that kind of environment, do they have a light at the end of the tunnel? Is the best policy to to maybe leave in an org- an organization that's maybe devolving in that way? Or I'm that's a really good question because I'm really conflicted about that because yeah. and I and I I'm very conscious of my own privilege in that respect because if I'm in an organization like that, my my journey and I've been in this situation, my journey will be to push, 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 and rebel and raise my head above the power pit. And say this isn't right, this isn't good, what you're doing is wrong, etc. And if that doesn't work, then I'll leave. Yeah. But I'm very conscious that I'm pretty privileged. I speak English. I'm a white guy. I can I can get a job somewhere else without really worrying about it as, you know, as much as someone else might. So I know that I'm in a less vulnerable position than other people. 
And I think it, it, it wouldn't be fair for me to say, you know, as a person in that position, you should put your hand up and just, you know, be bold and, and rebel against it and protest against it because you might not be in a um, secure enough or, you know, less vulnerable place to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, equally, you know, I could say you should just leave because there's loads of other companies out there that are doing great stuff and there's some great people out there, great organisations who will include you and are fantastic and progressive and, and generative. But that that jump is scary. Yeah, definitely. So honestly, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I and I, I kind of feel the same way. You know, it's uh, it's been good to see more organisations learning and growing, I think, over time, especially over the last like four or five years. And I'm hopeful that these pockets of resistance will, will will start to sort of, you know, learn more of what they benefit from when everybody is included and, and can, you know, is free to contribute. But the unfortunate thing is like so many of these lessons get learned in public in very messy ways that I think has the potential for, you know, sending more of these kinds of folks underground and being a little bit more insidious. Like it's not, it's not every day that like your CEO gets up at Grace Hopper and just tells women to negotiate for higher pay, you know, and, yeah. and gets really questions about that or, yeah. you know, gets on Twitter and, and has a, has a meltdown. So yeah, I, it's tough. And it's tough yeah. too. Like as we're, you know, lots of folks are changing jobs right now. We've seen a lot of like sort of pent up, you know, time to change kind of things with the end of the, the closing of the pandemic, at least in, in North America and parts of Europe and watching people move around and, and like, that's all knowledge gathering for the rest of us, right? Like what does that organization look like, you know, and the whisper networks kind of light up for, you know, Hey, this organization isn't really a safe place to be. Yeah. And that has impact as well. Yeah. This starts to speak to how organizations themselves are, High performance, low performance, more mm-hmm. resilient, and uh, and I think you've had, you've had uh, John Osborne on on recently, and and yep. you know, this field is resilience engineering, which is the the capacity of an organisation to uh, anticipate, detect, respond, and uh, and adapt to change. Now, one of the things I think is really interesting about psychological safety is that it's if you like it's the foundation behind high performing teams, right? But it's also the foundation underneath high-performing learning organizations mm-hmm. without psychological safety at that very base level because resilience engineering fundamentally is all about people. So without psychological safety, you do not have resilience at a large scale in an organization. And what I think is really interesting and powerful about that is that these organizations that are pushing back against the new ways, reverting to like Taylorist kind of approaches and stuff, I don't think they'll survive. I think they'll really struggle. I think these newer progressive organizations will be more successful. It's almost inevitable. So in a sense, while you know, whilst it sucks that they exist right now, I don't know how much longer they'll exist for. Yeah, you feel like and definitely over time, like talent is going to drift away. Talent is going to repel against their pull of thoughts and, and ways of working and go somewhere else. And they'll lose out on all those opportunities for hiring all those folks. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I do feel like it will take some time, but yeah, it definitely feels like things are improving. Like I, 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 I feel like I f- hear fewer horror stories that are current. Like lots of people still have I- internalized trauma from bad managers, bad organizations that they've worked for in the past. 
um, it's starting to feel like those things are are clearing up in at least our part of the industry. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think we we are lucky in a sense in technology. I mean, the technology definitely as an industry has its problems, has its diversity problems, has its equity problems, and all sorts of stuff that we need to fix pretty urgently. But in many ways, we're quite a long way ahead of other other domains. Yeah. Um, we're behind in others, but yeah, in this respect, I, I completely agree. We are pushing this forward. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a facet of working technology. Uh, maybe it's a you know, but it's maybe it's just the inherent success of the technology industry makes this finally able. You know, we're looking at the next thing. We're looking at okay, what's where does real performance lie? Well, actually, yeah. we knew it all along. It relies it. It resides in people. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. All right. Well, we're at the end of our time, but like, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with or, or finalize for folks? Where else can they find you or other information if they're interested? Yeah, that's brilliant. So there's, so I have my own website. I have a website that I, I, I created out of boredom last year, but now it's kind of bloomed into, into something almost, almost uncontrollable. So it's at psychsafety.co.uk. Uh, we also have a weekly newsletter that you can sign up to and has loads of interesting psychological safety stuff and practices and theory. And um, there's also a community, there's a Slack community that you can join that you find a link to on the website there. So if you're if you're into psychological safety uh, and want to find out more, that's that's a great place to start. That's the idea. There's loads of stuff to go to from there. But I'd also say three things. Like if people if if there's only a little bit that people take away from this from this podcast, then I'd like people to think about these three things and, you know, in your teams, in your organization, start asking questions because by asking questions of each other, you give people the space to speak up. People have to speak up because they've been asked a question. And secondly, acknowledge your own fallibility, acknowledge when you're wrong and admit your mistakes like the Red Arrows commander, because by doing that, you're making space for others to do the same and you're encouraging that behavior. And this this applies whether you're uh, a member of the team or you're a leader, especially if you're a leader. And finally, treat everything as an experiment. Everything as an experiment. Treat everything as a learning opportunity, and the outcome of any work should be knowing how to do it better next time. Because if everything is an experiment, you can't fail. You just learned. And, and yeah, just talk about psychological safety. Make psychological safety a psychologically safe thing to talk about in your teams. Excellent. Those are excellent parting words. We'll add links to your site in the show notes um, so folks can check that out. Um, hopefully they'll engage more with you and your projects there because that sounds amazing. So we're going to sign off. Um, thanks for, for joining us today. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Uh, this is Mandy Walls. I'm wishing you an unoffendful and psychologically safe day. Thank you. does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pagertothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pagertothelimit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us and remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.